If you'll permit me, I will give you a short recap for the benefit of all the new people. And uh, then we'll begin. Last time in 3 John, we met a man named John. John the Elder. He is the one that's writing the letter that we will be looking at tonight. The same John who wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, who wrote Revelation, who wrote the Gospel of John. Not to be confused with John the Baptist, they're two different guys, but this John, John the Elder, he was actually a disciple of John the Baptist. That is, until in John chapter 1, verse 37, when the Baptist points out that Jesus is the Messiah, at which point John the Elder left the Baptist to begin following Christ. He had a brother, his name was James, you usually see him in the same list, James and John, James and John. Their dad, his name was Zebedee. According to Mark chapter 1, they had a family fishing business that did pretty pretty good. They had hired servants. And so the guy writing this, he's, he's a blue-collar worker. He's a fisherman. He's a guy that works with his hands at a trade. But, well, there's a lot more to John than just that. Jesus would give John the Elder and his brother James the, the name the Sons of Thunder. Cool name. Sons of Thunder. And these boys lived up to that name on more than just one occasion. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, Jesus was passing through a Samaritan village. And they're passing through, and the Samaritans say, we don't want you to come through. And they refused to allow Jesus and his disciples to pass through. Well, John and James were indignant. They were livid. How dare they? They look at Jesus, and they say, Jesus, do you... Do you want us to call down fire from heaven right now? Because we will, and we'll just kill them all if, if you want us to do that. We can, we'll just say the word. We'll, we'll ask the Father, we'll call down fire from heaven, we'll just kill them. That's the guy writing this book that we're looking at. He's a man who, sometimes he could be a little over the top, I suppose. A little bit of a firecracker, but he was passionate. He was zealous for what's true and what's right. Passionate for what's true and what's right. Interestingly enough, John the elder was the only one of Jesus' disciples who died of old age. All the other disciples lived to die a martyr's death. Church history tells us, um, Arrhenius to be exact, tells us that the elder spent the end of his life in the ancient city of Ephesus before being exiled to the island of Patmos. It is there where it's believed that John wrote this letter sometime around 90 to 95 A.D., what does that mean? Well, Christ was crucified in roughly 33. He was a very old man when he's writing this letter. But man, he still had it. He still had it. This man was passionate about what's true and what's right. It should come as no surprise then that one of the major themes of 3 John is the truth. A word that appears in our English Bible four times within the first four verses alone. Perhaps one of my favorite stories... comes from the church father, Clement of Alexandria. He tells a story on one such occasion that John had fearlessly entered the camp of a band of robbers. He goes up to their captain, their leader, who at one time had professed faith in Christ and then confronts him and leads him to true repentance. That's the man writing the story. I mean, he walks into a band of robbers. like He walks into like a gang. Imagine this guy walking in, all right? There's this Bloods, Crips, Latin Lords. I, I don't really have much gang knowledge. I'm just throwing out things of Wikipedia. So 
He walks in, like, with no concern for his own personal safety, confronts the leader of the gang and says, Hey, I just imagine all the, all the gang members around. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Like, there was a time that you, you made a profession of faith. And how you're living your life completely betrays everything that you once professed. You need to stop right now. You need to repent right now, right here. That's the man writing the story. Fearless. Zealous and passionate for what's true and what's right. He writes this letter to a man named Gaius. A man whose name is mentioned throughout the New Testament. But a man who we really don't know anything about. Because Gaius was one of the most common names at this time within the ancient Greco-Roman world. But he seems to personally know Gaius. And most likely Gaius was a prominent affluent member of some local church, most likely somewhere in Asia Minor. And he's writing this letter to commend him. To encourage him. He, apparently he's gotten word that Gaius is doing really great. And he, he says, Gaius, commending him in the greeting, Gaius, you're walking in the truth. I'm so excited to hear that my, my children are walking in the truth. I know, Gaius, that you're in the truth. And it's so interesting. He says that he knows that Gaius is in the truth, not because Gaius has prayed the prayer, not because Gaius has asked Jesus to come into his heart, not because he made a decision. None of those reasons. He says, Gaius, I, I know that you're in the truth. In other words, that like me, you're believing and continuing to believe true things concerning Jesus Christ. I, I know this. And it's not because you just said you were. I know it because it's evident. It's obvious. For those of you who've even been around here a little bit, you know I really love the New York Rangers. Someone said, how do you know? What do you mean, how do you know? It's evident. It's obvious, right? Like, I know that Joe loves the Rangers. You, you, you just say, it's, 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 just, it's so clear. Like, it's undeniable. Um, if I could, I'd probably just wear my Rangers t-shirt right now. But my point is, it should it not also be equally, if not more evident in our lives, that we're actually in the truth? It's a silly game, hockey, right? I love it, but it's just a game. And yet, for many of us, it's not the case. Like, should it not be equally, if not more evident, that we're in the truth, that we love Jesus Christ So the elder commends him. He says, listen, you're in the truth, and I'm pumped, and I know you're in the truth because it's evident in your life. So apparently what had happened, there are some people that the elder knew that came, that lived, that stayed with Gaius perhaps for a certain amount of time, and then they left, and they came, and they gave a report to the elder, and they said, oh, man, John, he's doing awesome spiritually. He's walking in the truth. In other words, he's not just in the truth because he says he's in the truth. He's in the truth because truly Jesus Christ has changed his life. And so the elder commends Gaius, not just because he's in the truth, because he's walking in the truth. In other words, you're being commended, Gaius, because not only do you believe true things, but you're living out the things that you believe. So many people say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm in the truth. And they, they haven't biblically responded to the gospel. I'm a Christian. I'm in the truth like Gaius. Is it evident in your life? Is it evident? I don't know. Do you love the Lord? Do you love God? Do you love the people of God? Do you love the Word of God? And some, some of you, it's just like, you think you're doing some great thing because you come and warm a pew here. 
And I have some family members that are like, oh yeah, we love the Lord. And it's like Easter and Christmas and that's the only time. And I'm like, do you not love the people of God? Are they worth so little that you want to just show up once or twice a year? Like, that is his bride that he died for, that his blood was spilt for. Are you like Gaius? Is it evident in your life? Well, Gaius, he is such a model for us. And so the elder commends him in the first four verses. And then in verses uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8, he says, Gaius, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. Well, what he's doing is he's just showing Christian love and hospitality to people that he doesn't even necessarily know, but that they need help. He's showing Christian love and hospitality. So verses 5 and 6, the elder says, keep doing what you're doing, guys. Some of you, you guys, I just want to encourage you. You guys are awesome and rock stars. Some of you guys are just doing so well. Don't be discouraged, but keep being like guys. And there's some other people say, well, you know, that's just not who I am. I'm not really like the Gaius type. That's, I'm not naturally that person. And so, yeah, and well, the elder makes it very clear in verses 7 and 8 that we really ought to be. We ought to be hospitable and loving and kind and, and, and generous to other brothers like the strangers as they are in the context. These brothers are kind of like traveling missionary church planner types, I guess, um, so we, we ought to help them. Like Gaius is helping them, we ought to do this. Not make excuses for why we're not going to help them, but we ought to help them. Why? Well, first of all, what they're doing and everything that they're doing is for the sake of the name. In other words, they're doing everything that they can, these brothers, the Gaius is helping They're doing everything that they can, not so that they can build some empire, not so they can raise $60 million and buy a new private jet. Like, that's that's not why. They're doing everything so that Jesus Christ might be made supreme and known throughout the world. And the second reason, he says, is because they don't take anything. They don't take any help from anybody else. So that there may not be any conflict of interest. They don't take anything from the Gentiles, from the non-Christians. In other words, if we don't help them, who else will? And so we see in verses 1 to 8, this model guy, this man Gaius, who is living out his faith. Not just because he says, oh, I'm a Christian. Anybody can say that. Anybody can say that. But for Gaius, it's evident. For Gaius, it is abundantly clear that not just that he's in the truth, but that he's walking in the truth. A common metaphor in the New Testament to illustrate this, this outward demonstration, this manifestation of this inward change that's taken place. Oh, that we might all be like Gaius. But inevitably, we're not. And so, verses 9 and 10, we're about to meet the anti-Gaius. The evil Diotrephes. And that's where we begin tonight, verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So John, the elder, writing this letter to Gaius, begins by informing him that he wrote a letter to the church and that he encountered some trouble from a man named Diotrephes. Wrote a letter to the church, encounters a man named Diotrephes. The letter that the elder wrote has, well, since been lost to history. Perhaps because Diotrephes intercepted the letter and destroyed it. But here's this new character, Diotrephes. 
I love, personally, I just, I always love in stories when there's a bad guy. I just, the bad guys always make things more interesting. Not saying that we should emulate them. It just makes it more interesting. I took a test. I was house Slytherin, to give you an idea. So, <laughs> um, True story. So we meet this man here. We meet this man who was just this opposite of Gaius' love and hospitality and generosity. This guy who lives out his faith. We meet the anti-Gaius. We meet Diotrephes. Diotrephes, his name literally means nourished by Zeus or foster child of Zeus. Nourished by Zeus, that's Diotrephes. His name was as uncommon as Gaius' name was common at this point in the ancient Greco-Roman world. Some believe that the name Diotrephes was used exclusively to noble families. John MacArthur commenting at this point says, and I quote, If Diotrephes was from a noble family, his arrogant behavior may have been cultivated in that elevated environment, end quote. We don't know much, we don't know much other than that, but we're going to peel this text back and see some things. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. So this phrase, just look at this for a second. He likes to put himself first. Compound word in the original language from phylos and protos, love and first. It's pretty well translated in the English, to be honest. But this, this person who likes to put himself first, it, it really describes someone who is selfish, who is self-centered, and who is self-seeking. It's diatrophies. To be fair, there's moments where, honestly, we can be like that. We have been like that. Diatrophies, who likes to put himself first, selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. But what's interesting about this, this text is, in the original language, the phrase, he likes to put himself first, the present tense of the participle is being used. Present tense of the participle is being used here in the phrase he likes to put himself first, indicating that this is not some isolated behavior on the part of Diotrephes. This is constant behavior. This is constant behavior for him. Who, he goes on to say, he does not acknowledge our authority. Diotrephes does not acknowledge our authority. Literally, he won't have anything to do with us. Or he does not receive us. Being applied as a metaphor here. Remember, he wrote the letter. So he says he doesn't acknowledge, doesn't receive us, doesn't. He's referring back to that letter. So the letter came, wrote a letter. Doctor, if he's got it, said, "Yeah, this is how I feel about it." Goes over the shredder, drops the elder's letter in. A little bit of a pride issue, I think we see right here. I mean, keep in mind, this is the last surviving disciple, original disciple of Jesus. All the other ones have lived to die a martyr's death at this point. John's an old guy, probably the most prominent figure within the global church at this time. And Diotrephes essentially says, yeah, um, no. That's not happening. He's guilty of pride. It, it seems that Diotrephes must have had some type of position within the local church. 
in a city or area where Gaius lived. Oftentimes we assume perhaps that they were a part of the same church, but the text doesn't actually say that Diotrephes and Gaius were part of the same church. They may have been, but it doesn't state that. Also, it seems that the elder assumes that Gaius would have known Diotrephes. He doesn't explain who this Diotrephes is. He writes as if Gaius would have already known him. So whether they're a part of the same church, or perhaps that Diotrephes lives in a nearby city, it seems clear that they at least know of each other. So the elder writes a letter, and Diotrephes either intercepts the letter and destroys it, or once it was read within the church that he was at, he led a movement, and I think this is more likely, he's going to lead a movement to reject the elder's appeal. And this sets us up for verse 10, as the elder is going to spell out exactly what is going on. Verse 10, he says, So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing. I'll pause there. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. The... The if there, it, it's a little tricky because it, it's not intended to cast out like, okay, maybe I'm going to come, like, if I decide to, if I don't decide to. It probably is better translated whenever. So if I come, or so whenever I come, I'm going to bring up what he's doing. And this most likely is intended to be a public rebuke. A public rebuke. He's going to publicly rebuke Diotrephes. And some people say... I don't like the sound of that, or that doesn't, that doesn't set very well, but that's, that's not a very Christian thing, or it doesn't sound like a very Christian thing to me. We have to be careful when we begin to talk like that. We say, I don't think that's a Christian thing. Do you not think, or it doesn't sound like it, or you don't feel like it is, or isn't? Is, is that what you define truth is, or do you allow the pages of this book to define what truth is? I'm going to bring up what he's doing. Perhaps the elder has in mind the Apostle Paul's words from 1 Timothy 5.20 where he says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. That's a Bible verse. And as we said, Diotrephes' behavior is not isolated. It is continuous. It is unrepentant. It's no wonder that the elder probably is going to bring up what he's doing publicly. And that is perfectly biblical to do such a thing. I'd say it's rare. Most people don't see it. And then when they do see it, they freak out. They're like, no, there's such biblical basis for him bringing this up. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. You might not like the sound of that, but that's straight scripture. And as you're going to see the things that Diotrephes is doing, it's not only going to make biblical, practical, but also cultural sense why this is going to happen. So what's, what's he doing? He's going to bring up what he's doing. What's he actually doing? First thing, he's talking wicked nonsense against us. What's Diotrephes doing? Talking wicked nonsense. The, the word nonsense in the original language, it means to disparage, to slander, to gossip. What Diotrephes is doing is he is slandering the elder. He is gossiping against the elder. He's making disparaging remarks against the elder. He is sliming and smearing the elder. In a very public fashion. I was reading and studying within the first century Mediterranean world, it would almost be necessary culturally for 
the elder to publicly address Diotrephes in order to restore the honor that he had lost when Diotrephes had been talking all this wicked nonsense about him to everyone else. Here's the second thing that Diotrephes is guilty of. He says, and not content with that, like as if that's not enough, and not content with that, he, Diotrephes, refuses to welcome the brothers, or literally does not receive the brothers. Back in verse 9 it says that Diotrephes does not acknowledge our authority, the same words being used. He does not acknowledge or receive our authority in the letter that we wrote, and here he does not receive the brothers. Does not receive the brothers. So evidently, the elder wrote a letter, the church got it, the elder said, hey, there's going to be some guys coming through, some traveling missionary church planner types. You might not know who they are. I know who they are. They love Jesus. They're doing this for the sake of the name. So when they come, just just can you take care of them? Keep in mind, in the ancient world, it's not like there's a Motel 8 at every corner. And in fact, if you're a stranger and you come into a town or city, that can be very dangerous. People are like, I don't know who that person is. It's It could be a dangerous situation. We don't know who they are. So essentially, these are kind of like letters of transit. You could show up, knock on someone's door, and maybe this happened to Gaius, and show up and be like, hey, and Gaius is like, I don't know who you are. It's like, I have a letter from John the Elder. He opens it, he's like, okay, 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 okay. Hey, any friends of John's or friends of mine, I'm, I'm glad to take you in, and I'll do whatever I can to house you and help you. So there's a letter, it gets written, Diotrephes gets it, and he says, no. Not happening. We're not going to welcome or receive them. That will not happen. Number three, this is what he's guilty of. Number three, and also stops those who wants to. And then number four, and puts them out of the church. That's getting crazy, right? So, you think one, one thing is like, okay, I got it, diatrophies, he's just being a little spoiled brat punk. <sighs> he's like, yeah, we're not going to do this. But then where does he get off like telling other people? Like, how can he do that? How is he able to tell other people? He's like, that's just crazy. That's just stupid. Well, sin is stupid. It is stupid. So how is he able to, to like, see how he can refuse on his own, but how can he actually stop other people? Well, he's, he's, he's not letting other people receive them because he's putting pressure and saying, if you do that, you're no, one, you're no longer welcome here. You're excommunicated. Don't bother showing up. Don't bother ever coming back. And so there's this pressure. You say, well, how could he do that? Well, clearly, he would have had to convince a majority of people of his position. How does he convince a majority of people of such a stupid thing? I mean, just think about it. Like, there's construction, right, out here on Greenview. Imagine if you wanted to go and show Christian love and hospitality, bring a meal to construction workers. Obviously, in the context, they know that they're coming, probably, that they are Christian traveling missionary, uh, church planner types, whatever. But just imagine application. You want to go take something to someone, and I or someone at the church says, yeah, if, if you do that, don't come back here ever. And that might not sound like that big of a deal, but in the ancient world, when there's the church of Ephesus, the church in Jerusalem, the church in Corinth, to be shut out, it's not like, oh, just drive down the street and find, you know, another, another church. That's not going to happen. So there's a lot of pressure. And Diotrephes has rounded everyone up and at least gotten a majority of people to go along with his position. You say, how was he able to do that? Going back to the beginning of verse 10, what was he doing? The first thing that was charged against him, he's talking wicked nonsense against us. Slander, gossip, disparaging remarks. The elder writes a letter. Hey, there's guys. They're probably going to be coming. When they do, just show them Christian love and hospitality like, like Gaius did. We talked about earlier. Do that. For whatever reason, Diotrephes says, no, we're not going to do that. 
Imagine, you know, that we're in a room like this. He says, we're not going to do that. You know why? And it feels like every church has a diatrophies. Like this one guy who's just on this power play, you know, he's kind of got the, the, the pastor kind of, you know, rope behind his back, to arms tied behind his back, and he's running this power play. And he said, we're not going to do this, and this is why. Let me tell you about the elder John who wrote this letter as he drops it in the shredder. He is this and this and this, and he just starts slinging mud all over the elder, gossiping, slandering, lying about the elder, destroying his credibility, destroying his character. People are like, well, okay, I, I guess so. And so it gets at least a majority of the people to go along with him. This church has been hijacked. And you wonder why. You, want, you, you wonder, think about why. What's going to happen here? The elder says, so if I come, or, or when I'm coming, this is an old man at this time, an old man who we already know is very passionate about the truth. He says, I, listen, I'm going to be coming. And when I come, I'm going to bring up what he's doing. And this is, this is not the elder's first rodeo. Remember the story with Clement of Alexandria? He goes in the gang and, and confronts the leader. Like, this is not the first time that the elder has been in a situation like this. Like, it's about to go down. Like, it is going down and nobody's yelling timber at all. Not happening. Like, he is going to come and he's going to light diatrophies up. This wicked, sinful man who's hijacked the whole church. Just taking it over. Why? What's the root of the issue here? Well, pride. No one's going to tell Diotrephes what to do. How dare you tell me that what I'm doing is wrong? Don't, don't you tell me, Joe. Joe, don't you raise your voice to me right now. People don't like, oftentimes, being told that they're wrong or they need to repent. I don't want to hear that. Especially if they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. Application. Just an application. I mean, I remember thinking about a conversation, talking to a guy. Well, me and my girlfriend, she's going to move in with me. Yeah, that's not right. Well, that's okay, because we worked it out with God. Um, I don't think so. Oh, no, we've got an understanding. Uh, no, you don't. Yeah, it's, you know, we're basically married. No, you're not. Uh, yeah, we're like married in our hearts, so it's okay. I'm like, no, no, you're not. Like, you're a freaking moron. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, seriously. And then it's always, oh, you don't tell me that. Like, how dare you come off all judgy, Joe? No, like, you need to repent. Like, you need to shut your mouth and repent right now. But some of the people, like Diotrephes, are so prideful. Oh, no. Did you just say shut your mouth in church? You can't say that. I'm sure the elder is pretty PO'd right now. This church has been hijacked. And it's not like he's making a big request. Just saying, hey, these guys are coming. These guys love Jesus. They're trying to tell other people about Jesus. Just take care of them moment he hijacks the entire church and so yeah the elders coming there are such times where you public publicly rebuke people when when there's unrepentant sin as for those who persist in sin rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear you might not like it but there is clearly a biblical mandate for some instances Context here is hospitality, right? So we got, we got Gaius who's just, he's awesome. He's loving, he's kind, he's generous, he's benevolent. I mean, he, he'll just do whatever. I, like, I know some of you in the church, like I call you up, say, hey, can you do this? Yep, I got it. Like, I, whatever it is. Can you help me move signs? Can you help me do this? Can you do this? Can, yep, 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 I'll help, I'll help, I'll help. 
And then there's the diatrophies. There's always a diatrophies. And, and this is the person who's always just focused on themselves. They're selfish, they're self-centered, they're self-seeking. And oftentimes, it's, it's that sin is justified because it's, well, I'm just not really by nature like a Gaius anyway. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm not that type of person like so-and-so. So, so it's okay, right? So, so, you know, I'm the exception to the rule. I think that very well might be sin. And it's always under the guise of some nice legitimate excuse, right? I, r- seldom do I ever have people tell me, I just don't have any excuse, I'm wrong. <sighs> Why? It's just, ever since we're little, it's like dog ate my homework. I mean, it was just, it's just in our, ingrained in our society. Some of us, I think, are more like diatrophies than we may realize, and we need to repent. We need to repent. So I don't have opportunities like Gaius to show hospitality. It's not like I can have someone come over or take someone out or whatever. Okay, well, let me make this really, really easy for you. I want to make it really easy. Just borrow an application. Um, there is a reason why we have a four-minute intermission on Sundays. Yeah, there's a reason. So that someone can come and talk to a new person. And we can actually have a conversation because it's kind of hard to do it within like 30 seconds at most churches. So we stop the service for about four minutes. It's intentional. So that we can be like Gaius and show hospitality. And then some people, it's like, ooh, I, that's really far away from here to here, so I can't cross the aisle, right? And ooh, I don't know them. Yet yeah, neither did Gaius. Like, notice what the elder doesn't say. All right, so listen, I want you guys to do this. Um, but if you're not really like Gaius, or if it's kind of out of your comfort zone, like, don't worry about it, because you're the exception of the rule. So, uh, and, or, no, he doesn't say that. I think we have to be mindful. I understand. Some people, when it comes to showing hospitality and compassion and love, it, it's harder for some of us. It can be. It can be harder. It doesn't come as easily. And that's understandable. The point of which it doesn't become understandable any longer is when we justify that for not doing the things that we ought to do like Gaius. It's okay if it's harder for you. Ask God to help you be like Gaius. Repent of the times that you haven't. I have to do a lot of repenting. I have to do a lot of repenting. Yesterday, um, I was uh, hanging out with Diana and Corey. And they don't know I'm going to tell this story, and they probably don't even know the details of this. So I'm at Chick-fil-A with Corey and Diana. I picked Corey up because I wanted to hang out with him a little bit. Um, and I'd gone in the bathroom, and there's just a, a stall and a urinal. Pretty simple. Stall, urinal, for those of you who are women, and if you haven't seen what the men's bathroom looks like at Chick-fil-A and Woodrow. <laughs> I step out the door, put my hand on the door, I start to walk out, and I hear someone says, excuse me. And uh, just to be honest with you, I just opened the door and kept walking. The whole time I'm like, like maybe it was an older guy who just needed help. And I'm thinking, well, did I really hear it? Because you know how you always justify things. Well, you know, inter- maybe it's intermission's almost over. I'm, I don't really have a time to go across the aisle and talk to them. And I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I, I just, oh, it's so t- I'm with Corey and Diana. You know, this is, this is really, it's not convenient for me. It's, it's not a good time for me. It's, 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 well, this, 
would work out better for me some other time. And so I just, I just keep walking and I'm, you know, I can feel the, the Holy Spirit kind of grabbing me by the collar. Alright, so I can feel that conviction. I'm, I think I'm trying to go like this, and then I'm like, okay, hey, can't hear you. Of course, it doesn't really work that way. And so I'm still feeling like so convicted. And we're walking out, and we go through like the little airlock door, where they have the little, little doors, like an airlock. And so um, Diane and Corey go out, and they walk out, and then I feel the, a hand on my arm, and it's the same man back in the bathroom. And at this point, I'm like, okay, second chance. Let's do this. I struck out on the first pitch. Let's do this. And so... Elderly man on disability with a cane. You're like, man, Joe, you're a, you're a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, I, I'm on dis. He's like, hey, he's like, sir, I, I just need to talk to you for a second. And I, obviously, I knew where he's going with this. Um, yeah, I just got dropped off. Came from like one of the, the towns and took a got a got a ride. Anyways, um, and uh, I'm waiting for the shuttle to pick me back up. Uh, I could you buy me some food? And so I said, um, I was like, well, I, I'm talking to him. I'm asking him something about his life. His name was James, older gentleman on, on disability, like I said. And so I said, okay. Um, I said, yeah, let's, let's just get some food right now. Um, so I bought him food, stood in line. Corey and Diana, they kind of let me talk to him. And, and then I, uh, I sat there and just sat there with him and talked to him and listened to him and then prayed for him and prayed with him. And yeah, I know you're like, well, you might have been ripped off. Yeah, so like what, seven bucks, I guess? I, um, uh, maybe that's diatrophies. We can't receive these brothers. Like, you know, they might, they might really need our help. Maybe not. Do you want to risk being ripped off once in a while? Worst case scenario, he had me for seven bucks. My point is, is that there are times where that diatrophy slips in, that's selfish, self-centered. It's not convenient for me. It's not really my personality. It's out of my comfort zone. Uh, so we try to justify it. That's sometimes sin when we justify it. I'm not saying it's not hard sometimes to be like Gaius. I got it. It's harder for some people. It was harder for me yesterday. Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. This little, this little turd. Diotrophies. This self-seeking, self-centered little punk who's hijacked the church, who won't listen to correction. I mean, some of you are just like that. Some of you are like, I'm not coming back. I, I don't want to hear a pastor tell. I want to just be, can I hear the nice cotton candy, flowery sermon? I don't want to hear this. I don't want to be told like, hey, you might need to repent of your sin. You might have stuff going on where you have a lot in common with this guy. Instead of making excuses, just close your mouth and ask God to help you. Humble yourself before him. Diotrephes and Gaius. That we might be like Gaius. That we might not make excuses or justifications. That's sin. That we might live out our Christian faith. That we're not just, oh, I'm in the truth because I say I'm in the truth. Anybody can say they're a Christian. Is it evident in your life? It should be. And if it's not, repent. Repent. Scripture talks a lot about sin because we need to do a lot of repenting, quite frankly. So we try to be more like Jesus. So I'd like to just pray for you guys as the band comes. Just want to pray for you. God, we love you. You're a good God. You're an awesome God. And I ask that you'd help us, that you'd help us to be like Gaius. 
This guy who is generous and hospitable and loving and, and always willing to help and serve and love. A man who doesn't just say, oh, I'm a Christian, but he lives it out. A man who, does, who loves you seemingly with every part of him. So I pray that we'd be like him. And that you'd help those of us, honestly, God, that we're a joke. We really are. I mean, we say that we're in the truth, but we have no evidence in our life that we love you, that we love your people, or we love your word. There's no evidence. So maybe for some people, I just pray that you'd grant them a heart of repentance right now, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And for those, those of us else in here, that you'd help us. It doesn't come naturally to some of us to be like Gaius, but help us to see the bigger picture. We need you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.